You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Wake up. Wake up. Rise to my defense. Fight for me, my Lord and my God. Declare me not guilty, O Lord my God. For you give justice. Don't let my enemies laugh about me in my troubles. Don't let them say, look, we got what we wanted. Now we will eat him alive. Good morning. I think it stopped raining. I think. So, good thing, right? All right. And I got a good word of authority that we don't have to build an ark, so we're, we're in good shape. We're talking about forgiveness. Uh, we started last week talking about the big why of forgiveness, and this is a, a message series that's intentionally building, so I hope you kind of stay with this and you pay attention and, and you invite other people because, you know, forgiveness is one of those things that it affects all human relationships. By your very nature, you may be someone that doesn't struggle with forgiveness as much as somebody else. Sometimes I think that is due to personality. Sometimes I think that's due to what is happening to us or what has happened to us. Some of us have been violated uh, against more than, than others. Uh, for, for many of us, this is a very serious thing. I was at Church of the Resurrection this past week, and I, I noted that uh, there's a survey that they're doing. Pastor Adam Hamilton is doing a uh, message series on the birds and the bees, and one of the questions that he asked the congregation with hundreds of people uh, responding, that uh, the question was, how many of you have uh, felt intimidated to become sexually intimate with somebody else that you did not want. And 56% of women and 22% of men said yes to that. That's just kind of one question. There's, there's a lot of things that a lot of people carry around with them. And there's also a little, little things that we stuff. And so I hope that today as we talk through forgiveness... Um, we're just open to what the Spirit wants to say to each one of us. We're going to first talk about things that forgiveness is not, and then we'll go into steps of forgiveness. And then what I want to do is, is uh, lead us to the gospel story and end with the words of Jesus, as, as he says it, the best of all. So what does forgiveness not mean? You may want to jot some of this down or simply maybe one of these things will apply to you. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. How often we've heard people say, forgiving, uh, forgive and forget. But that's not the same. And it's not always a smart thing to forget. It's not possible always to forget, nor should we. And so we might remember the action. Maybe it's very helpful in our future not to forget the act, not to stuff that but to remember it. But forgiving allows us to release the person or to let that person go from our spirit of what they're holding against them. 
It means the next time I see that person, the, the pain is not as raw, although it still may be there. Forgiveness does not mean denying what cannot. Forgiveness does not mean denying what happened or how we were affected by it. This is really important. We need to take time to, to name this. It's easy for us to stuff things, especially little things, especially daily things, and to deny that it really, you know, it's no big deal when it really is. So to be able to recognize and name those things that, and how that is affecting us when these things are done against us. Forgiveness takes more than willpower and it's something that cannot be given just necessarily on command, nor should it be. Um, this is one of those things I think spiritual, religious people can have difficulty with because, you know, we know Jesus says, forgive, right? <laughs> you better forgive if you want to be forgiven, right? Does that mean we forgive immediately? Does that mean that we are always able to forgive immediately? If I have to forgive immediately, if I have to forgive on my own willpower or my on, on command, it probably means I'm not doing the work of really taking inventory of what has occurred. And chances are that I'm leaving some stuff in my spirit and I'm denying myself as I try to be really spiritual and spiritually stronger than I really am. Forgiveness does not take us back to where we were before the offense. If I do something against you, uh, hopefully there is forgiveness that can happen. But as things happen or as things build, that doesn't mean the relationship is going to be the same. No, as we practice forgiveness, as we extend mercy to each other, the, the relationship doesn't stay the same. It may be even better or it may not be as good, knowing that trust, when it's violated, takes time to rebuild. Forgiveness does not mean giving up our rights. It doesn't mean that we're doormats. It doesn't mean that we let someone continue to violate us. It doesn't mean that we give up our distinctive rights as a human being. Forgiveness does not mean excusing the offender it doesn't mean that what the offender did to us is okay. But it is making a distinction, distinction between the offense and the offender themselves. This is a very important one. Forgiveness does not demonstrate moral superiority. So let's say, um, David, I am... Um, forgiving you about something. And I feel very good about myself that I'm the person that's forgiving you. I feel morally superior. After all, I'm looking down on you. Uh, we can be really spiritual snobs when we know we have something against somebody else and we're forgiving them. But chances are, if I get down here on David's level, 
well, I may need to forgive you about something, which I, I don't. Uh, Cody may need to be forgiving me about something. So often in human relationships, while I'm forgiving somebody else, somebody else is needing to forgive me. And so it's very important that the forgiver does not exercise or demonstrate moral superiority over the person that we're forgiving. And then forgiveness does not mean leaving it to God. It doesn't mean that it's up to God to do this. No, there's a role that I have to play. There's a responsibility. There's some work that I have to do. And sometimes it's painful work and it's hard work. But there's a role that in the human factor, uh, we can't just say we got a relationship with God and we got a relationship with each other. No, the two are so intertwined. So we can't just say we, we leave it up to God. Now, what are some steps toward forgiveness, knowing what forgiveness does not mean? For, there, there's the sense of preparing for forgiveness. I have to be willing to come around to forgiveness. I have to be willing to see the benefit, not just to the person that's being forgiven, but the benefit of, of my own self living and having a forgiving spirit toward others. I liken it to taking out the trash. How many of you enjoy taking out the trash? Is that you get up in the morning and that's what you, you just live for, right? <laughs> but, but every day, Sometimes, several times a day, we have to take out the trash. And every day, there is stuff that comes into my trash bag. And I can hold on to that stuff. And some things stink a lot worse than others. But forgiving and having a forgiving spirit is a spiritual exercise of deciding that I'm going to take out the trash. And friends, we got to take out the trash every day. Our uh, grandson, Oren, is someone that I love hanging out with. And uh, he is a part of the Grow to Know's Preschool. I want to give a plug to the preschool here because I, I just love the CD music that Miss Molly's put together, and Orrin comes home singing Scripture, knowing Scripture, two years of age. I mean, and then it's up to me as a grandfather to help him to know about the cardinals. So that's, that's how it works. So I'm going to tell something on him this week, and it's not nice. Maybe he will forgive me when he gets older. Uh, <laughs> but he was over at our house two years old, and I don't know how he did this, but he pooped his diapers three times in one night. One for his mother, one for his grandmother, and one for his papa. And as we're just cleaning up the mess, and I think about messy relationships, but I think about, boy, the little stinker, and I think about uh, um, the diapers, and I think, man, I could just get two diapers out, but there's a third one here. And, and it's easy to forgive a two-year-old when a two-year-old is acting like a two-year-old. But what do you do when you got a 22-year-old acting like a two-year-old? What do you do when an adult in your life is a real stinker? How do you live with that? Remember what we said? 
what forgiveness doesn't mean. Doesn't mean we're excusing the action. Doesn't mean we're a doormat. But you know what? Every day I get to practice forgiveness. And sometimes in our life, in seasons of our life, and some of you here this morning, you've got somebody that's an adult acting like a two-year-old. And that is not an easy place to be. Not at all. What's the difference between releasing that, maintaining a forgiving spirit, while not excusing the action and even moving to confront it. Now, the second phase of this is naming the offense. King David in the psalm says this about stinkers in life and in society and culture. So you can put that scripture up, please. They don't talk of peace. They plot against innocent people who mind their own business. They shout, aha, aha. With our own eyes, we saw him do it. Oh, Lord, you know all about this. Do not stay silent. Do not abandon me, oh, Lord. What's, what's David doing here? He's talking about behavior. He's talking about the behavior of people in our culture. He's talking about the kind of relationships that he's observing and how other people are dragging other people down and also about the action that people are doing toward him. But one thing he does not do, he doesn't take his own trash and return the favor. Because what we're living in, in our society, in our culture, what we're doing so well is we spell justice by the word revenge. And we're seeing this in our nation, nation against nation, people against people, ethnicity against ethnicity, sometimes religion against religion, family member against family member. So you see why it's so important to name the offense? And for me, it's critically important to name the offense before God. And sometimes to plead and cry out to God for justice, for the sake of other people, as well as for myself, not to pretend this is okay, but to name the offense. And then as I do that, to go to the offender, to confront the, the offender or not, because maybe it's not a safe thing to do. Maybe it's not... There's not a readiness for that to happen. Maybe there's not a, a sense of health, enough, enough health and vitality for that to really occur. But if I want to have a relationship with this person, I have to kind of name it, confront the offender. Or maybe I have to confront the offender with a third person. Maybe it's in the workplace. Maybe it's in some other venue of life. But as I do that, it's important to be able to use terminology like this, that when you did this, whatever this is, I felt this. When you did this, I felt this. And you know what? Sometimes the offender is not malicious at all. Sometimes the offender has no idea that that person is hurting us. But when I point it out, when I take the responsibility of naming it before that person, it can be my spouse, it can be a coworker, it can be someone else I have to deal with in life. 
When I take the responsibility of doing that, then the offender can then say, I, you know, I, I was oblivious, or I had no idea, or I am going to change that action now. See how this ha- happens and what forgiveness sometimes can lead and work out? The next step toward forgiveness is to forgive ourselves. This can be the hardest thing of all. I had a 90-something person in the first service talk about the struggle of forgiving himself. In this message series, next week, we're going to talk about how we need to receive forgiveness from others, and we ultimately wind up with reconciliation and how we need to be able to receive reconciliation. But one of the hardest things to do sometimes is to forgive ourselves, our role in it, our part in it. And to understand the offender, I think God gives us the grace sometimes to understand a person like we never understood them before. When my father died nearly 19 years ago, uh, I grieved more about his death than I thought I would. And what I grieved about the most was the relationship that we didn't have. Now, my father was a good provider. He was a good moral man, World War II vet, um, treated me right in many, many ways. While he was a victim of child abuse, he never abused me. But what I grieved about was the relationship that we didn't have. Never got the affirmation. Never got the sense of praise or the kind of affection and closeness that I think everybody ultimately needs from a father and a mother. And after his death, in doing some work, God, clear as a bell, said this to me. He was a much better father to you than his father was to him. Today I can tell you, I love my father. I have more respect and admiration for him than I ever have. And I feel closer to him now than I ever have. God gives us the grace sometimes to understand what it's like to be in that other person's shoes. Not to justify their action or their inaction, but to understand. And then we look for signs of God's grace. We look for the ways in which God doesn't always heal every wound immediately or unharm the harm that was done. But God's grace is able to raise up out of the ashes of our life a crown of beauty and goodness and righteousness. And in the emptiness and in the loss, he's able to grow something good and new and lasting. There's also... We consider the possibility of reconciliation. Remember, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. 
Forgiveness is what we do. It's something we hope someone does for us. Reconciliation doesn't always happen, nor should it always happen in this life. Pastor Jason has a story about a colleague who has a friend who went to this town he used to live, and there's this guy that walked across the street, said hello, hey, let's hang out, let's do some of the old stuff we did, and the guy says, no thanks. And the guy says, well, why, don't you, don't you love me? And he says, yes, I love you, but I'm gonna love you across the street. You know, there's some people in our life we can love up close, some people we love across the room, and some people it's better just to love across the street and be okay with that. Well, let's go to, to the words of Jesus. And I want to start by saying, I love Simon Peter, one of the leading apostles, one of the guys that hung out with Jesus for three years. And what I love about him is he's willing to ask questions that are stupid questions or challenging questions or embarrassing questions. He's willing to ask the questions that's on my mind, but I'm afraid to ask. I love the impetuous person that's willing to ask those questions. God bless the Pete's in our world. So Pete, Peter, asked Jesus the question, how many times, Lord, must I forgive? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 77 times. Or some translations say 70 times seven. In other words, an unlimited amount of time. Remembering forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. But then he answers with a story. Here's the story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. Now, friends, this is not a slice out of everyday life, but in that day and in many places across the centuries, debtors' prisons were real. You couldn't pay your debt. You went to jail. And you had a big debt, and you couldn't pay off. You could be there for the rest of your life. And what's more, your family, they could be sold off to help pay off the debt. Jesus has taken a slice out of everyday life when he talks about this. But here's what happened. But the man fell down before his master, the guy that owed, owed millions of dollars. And he begged him, please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. 
shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Why in the world would a guy that's been forgiven millions of dollars refuse to forgive a few thousand dollars worth? Is he that miserly? Or is his struggle, I think, the struggle that many of us have in life? That we've really been forgiven. That we've been really forgiven by God millions of dollars worth of debt. I mean, a kind of a debt that Dave Ramsey cannot even coach us through. Do you really believe, friend, or have you experienced the mercy and grace of God where you are free not only of the sin, but the guilt of it? When that is the case for us, I can forgive somebody a few thousand dollars worth. That's not to minimize or to ignore or not to name what the few thousand was. But you see how that changes my spirit and my attitude. I uh, have some keychains. I have a keychain in life. I have one car key on it. Susan hasn't trusted me enough to give me the key to her car yet. So, Sorry, Susan, not, forgive me. Uh, one of the things I have on here is the key to the church. It's a master key. Gets me into every place in this campus except the food and the money, <laughs> which is a good thing. Pastors don't need to go close to either one of them, really. Especially there needs to be that separation of the money. It gets me into every other, every other place in Schweitzer's world. I think Jesus gives us the keys of the kingdom. Theologians have debated over the years, does he just give it to Simon Peter? Does he just give it to the apostles? Does he, does he just give it to leaders? Or is it meant for everyone? Does he hand the keys over to us? Does he say they're yours? And really trust us with them? And what are you going to do with those keys? If you forgive anybody, their sins are forgiven. If you don't forgive others, they're not forgiven. And then he says to Peter and he says to the apostles, but does he say it to us too? I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you lock on earth, you lock up other people, you lock up other relationships, it's going to be locked up in heaven. But whatever you open up in earth, whatever you unlock is going to be opened up in heaven. This I know that forgiveness is a key, is a key thing in relationships. And it starts with the mercy of God, a forgiving God. And I think it's a big deal.
that he trusts us as his children, as brothers and sisters, to exercise the key of forgiveness in responsible ways, but in very freeing ways. And if I've been released, if I'm really out of the debtor's prison, if I'm really out of the dungeon, if I'm really released from a bitter spirit, man, why wouldn't I want that for you too? Even you who may have done something against me. I want to do the hard work of forgiveness. And I want to rely on the mercy and the forgiveness of God that empowers me and fuels me to do this. So the questions I have is why wouldn't I leave prison when the door is swung wide open? Why wouldn't I just want to walk out in the sunshine and the light of the goodness and the freedom of God? Why would I ever want to go back to prison? Why would I ever want to go back to that old life? Why would I ever want to go back to an unforgiving spirit? Why would I ever want to go back to that stuff? And why wouldn't I want this freedom for everyone? Don't I know that when I don't forgive you, when I don't release you, chances are I'm going to go back there and sit in that dreary dungeon too. But whoever the Lord sets free, he's free indeed. She's free indeed. Will you pray with me? And I'm going to invite you just to hold out your hands. Uh, Feel free to stand or sit, whatever you like to do. Lord, in your presence, we, we thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for sweet forgiveness. We thank you that the way you forgive is full release. God, help us to receive your forgiveness today. And God, if there's something we need to give to you, something we need to name, help us to name it. Maybe something we're holding against somebody else. Any resentment or anger, we, we give this to you. We breathe in your mercy and grace and we breathe out what we don't want. And we receive fresh and new love and forgiveness in these moments. As we come into a time of worship, help us, how help us to celebrate God as people who've been forgiven a million dollars worth. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.